You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Brian Corley. And this is the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, and Brian and I are going to be discussing Exodus 16, 2 to 15, Psalm 105, uh, the verses in the lectionary are 1 to 6 and 37 to 45, and Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Brian, we're going to start with Exodus 16. We've sort of jumped ahead here. Do you want to tell us what's been going on <laughs> to get us to this passage today? Yeah. Um, so basically in this uh, chapter we, we have a bit of a, um, a crisis going on. Um, a food crisis, uh, but but also a leadership crisis, which um, these things sort of seem to correlate um, in a lot of um, the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. So we have the the nation of Israel; they've been in the wilderness for a while now, and and there's anxiety amongst them, um, particularly with how they're going to get food and and water um, in the wilderness or in the desert. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, this is basically what's happening, and and um and this and we have probably it introduces us also to to how we view um God's relationship to Israel, um, particularly um, for the Book of Exodus, mind you. Um, there's an interesting um, contrast that maybe we'll talk about um in a, in a, in a minute's time, but um, that's sort of the set for setting for for this reading. Mm. Yeah, so we're in the wilderness and we've already had some um, water issues and other things. Um, the people have fled out of Egypt. And I lo- we're going to get grumbling in both the major readings today and in here and in, right. in Matthew. <laughs> I love this verse 3. It's so dramatic and we get this all the time with the Israelites in the desert. You know, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, you know, Um when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill for bread. So, you know, they'd rather die than be hungry. And, I mean, I sympathise right. as someone who gets hangry. If you don't give me food, I get pretty grumpy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what do we make of the sort of, well, what what do we make of the complaint and what do we make of, I guess, God's solution, which is this meat at night and manna, bread in the morning, mm. Um I don't know which part we want to talk about first. Well, um, I guess the re- uh, God's response comes after a complaint. And um, to be fair to Israel, it's a fair complaint. Um, you yeah. know, we're, I think a lot of the time we sort of um, vilify Israel uh, with, with their complaining. But I think in this instance, it's a fair complaint. I mean, we're in the middle of the desert. Um, there's no obvious source of food or or any um, nourishment, so you know there is going to be complaint, um, and so it is a complaint against, but what um, against the you know the leadership of Moses and Aaron, um, which is interesting because when Aaron Moses and Aaron respond, um, particularly in verse eight, they say that their complaint is against Yahweh mm. or against the Lord. Um, but Israel never mentioned the Lord in their complaint. Um, so there's a bit of deflection there by Moses and, and Aaron mm-hmm. um, trying to lay you know, the blame. It was, in fact, them that were laying the blame on God. Um, and so you know, we have that interesting conversation between the, the, the nation and, and Moses and Aaron. 
Um, but interestingly, and this is um, where the difference lies between Exodus and, say, the book of Numbers, mm-hmm. um, the Lord actually responds by finding an alternative. And that alternative, um, it, it, it sort of typifies uh, God's compassion um, that we sort of uh, read about in the Song of Moses in chapter 15, um, you know, the steadfast love um, mm. and slow to anger. So there's no rebuke from from God here, uh, you know, telling them to repent from their complaint, but God actually provides for them out of God's care um, and out of God's compassion. Um, so it's it's an interesting um, response, which I find um, is, is, is consistent with God's character that has been um, outlined in chapter 15. Yep. Um, yeah, so the, the reason why I say I point out the book of Numbers is because in the, in the book of Numbers, when Israel complains, um, God actually responds through anger um, and, and rebukes the nation um, and punishes them. Yeah. So it's an interesting contrast between how God is depicted um, in Exodus um, in, and in Numbers through complaints and murmuring. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And um, I love the the you know your observation that you know Moses and Aaron deflect. I mean, you're right; they're, they're the ones who go, "Why are you complaining against us? Your complaint is against God." I mean, that's not really right. great um, leadership <laughs> for the religious leaders <laughs> to be like, "Actually, well, it's, it's, God's let you down, not us." It's like mm, that's right. passing it, the buck I all mean, the way it, up. <laughs> It is an era of modern day politics, isn't it? Um, oh, it is. It is. Yes. It's all the deflection, right? But um, so you know, I guess in that sense, there's a biblical base for deflection um, for politics. <laughs> uh, but but also the you know the other thing that I, I find um, and you, you you touched up on this and, and before is the um, anxiety of the nation mm. um, that has sort of led them to forget about the abuse and the and the slavery that they experienced, yep. um, and and I think. Um, you know, and and I say this with respect, but you know, when people are sort of tied up in abusive or in top relationships, they they do tend to forget the abuse. Um, and you know, you, you mm. hear the voice of, well, you know, they're doing this, they're doing this good thing for me, they're doing this, and yeah. I guess we we see a bit of that. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that they've gone so many years of bondage, um, the, you know, they they're able to remember, you know, very detailed things such as flesh pots and and bread mm. um so you know those things when you when one's mind is filled with anxiety they tend to sort of um cast their their minds off, away from all the negative stuff um and then just sort of pinpoint good things to take their mind off the anxiety i guess yeah i i agree i think there's a selective memory here and i mean I think people who work in trauma will tell us that that you know memory is a mm. tricky a tricky thing. It's not a reliable narrator of the past. And there's right. also something here around. Um, I actually think this is a really interesting passage to preach for the contemporary church, at least here in Australia, mm. where a lot of churches there's a lot of reflection about what does the church of the future look like. Um, there's an acknowledgement. I think increasingly we. We can't go back to the glory days of, you know, as much as people want to, they want to go back to the glory days of, you know, Sunday schools mm-hmm. fill, filled in the 1950s and 60s. Um, yeah. But, I mean, even that is is the fond memories of all the good things, right? Um, yeah. You know, so they're looking back with rose-coloured glasses. and But there is genuine fear of the unknown when you go forward, right? And Israel here is, right. you know, they're facing an unknown it's in a harsh, harsh place, and 
Mm. There's a genuine anxiety around food, which is not unreasonable at all. Um, but yeah. there is something about, um, you know, I think it's easy for us to look back and go, oh, you should be so excited you're liberated from slavery. But actually some there's something in our human natures that retreats into the known even when that known has been awful, right? It's our identity gets tied up with life being a certain way and, yeah. So there's lots of things to play with there, I think, um, for this passage. Is there anything yeah. else you want to uh, comment on? Yep. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is, and, and again, um, um, we're reading this, you know, intertextually with numbers, is that Israel is allowed to complain. Yeah. Um, which is a... Uh, I think is um, is something that that is key for us in this modern times. Um, you know, often more often than not, um, you know, voices uh, are suppressed. You know, um, especially voices in the margins, and and you know, when anyone complains, it's sort of frowned upon in in, in modern society um, and looked upon as a sign of weakness. Mm. I think um, you know, it's cru- it's crucial to sort of outline that for the book of Exodus that the voice of complaint is not suppressed. It's yeah. allowed to liberate it. And I think the voice of complaint um, actually generates new ideas and visions moving forward. So, um, yeah, mm. that's what I wanted yeah. to add. That's, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm just imagining as, you, as you're talking, Brian, what, what it would look like for preachers to invite their congregations to grumble. What, what do we want to grumble yeah, grumble about yeah. to God, you know, yeah. um, because yeah. what what might or come out maybe of that? About, yeah. Right, or, or maybe about you know you know about um, our own ministry and you know is my are my sermons too long, or um, <laughs> yes. you know am I wearing the appropriate um, clothes to to church? Does it make you know? Um, yeah, I mean things like that. Um, I think, uh, and you know, I think you know me well enough to know that Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. Yeah. Um, you know, the voice of Kohelet, I think you can hear here as well. You know, the, the, the you know, not just a voice of uh, murmuring, but it's, it's a genuine voice of disdain towards, um, you know, certain uh, structures and certain power dynamics and things like that, that sort of off, um, become some bit of a uh, disruption to, to how people live and how people mm. engage, um, especially, you know, like I said, the marginalised and, and those who are yeah. in need. Well, should we turn um, to the psalm? Because the psalm kind of reflects on the same story but in a different kind of way. So yeah. Psalm 105. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was really um, sort of kept uh, – what captured my attention was the verse 38. Mm. Um, where it starts off that Egypt was glad when they um, departed, uh, which is interesting because that totally contrasts what's happening in Exodus 16. Um, you know, here we have Israel wishing to go back, mm. um, and yet the attitude of the psalmist is that actually Egypt's glad you guys left, so they don't want you back. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my question is, did the psalmist here totally ignore um, Exodus 16? Um and you know, I guess more sort of in a in a, in a in a in a sort of melancholic uh, type of uh, attitude. Like, um, did did he actually forget about the anxiety of the people? Did he ignore those uh, voices of um, yeah complaint? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so those are the t- those those are the questions that I that I sort of had when when I read um, verse twenty eight. Yeah, I I. 
I mean, we were talking before about memory and, and you, you were putting numbers alongside Exodus, but here's almost a third voice, right, telling the same story. Mm. I mean, and again, I think this is really helpful to put before congregations and even to point out that we have the same mm. story being told with multiple voices in the Bible and often multiple theologies mm-hmm. embedded in those voices. So yeah. here it's a very shiny, bright, poetic, neatly tied up, picture, right? You know, Israel was glad, God did this, you asked for food, he gave you quails. I mean, that all sounds rather lovely. Water gushed out of a rock. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, you can imagine them almost singing this as a kind of a victory song or something as, um, you know, as yeah. they remembered remembered the story. Um, mm. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I don't know much about the dating of Psalms. You might be able to correct me here, but maybe this reflects a later period looking back or, or just a later strand. I, I was, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking it, it, it probably reflects more of a post-exilic context, um, especially sometime after the like when the nations um, of Israel um, is sort of to return back to their land. Yeah. Um, but there is a certain attitude um, that is reflected where you know the colonizers or the oppressors are certainly not viewed in a in, in a sort of um, favorable light mm. uh, which is typical of that exilic attitude um and so I, I think it, it sort of probably dates back to that time um but as you said you know we have this sort of third voice or or, or an extra voice that that um that is in conversation with these other earlier voices of mm. you know the complaint also um but you know in 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 that dynamic that conversation, um, yeah, it certainly is sort of consistent with uh, with the attitudes of a post-exilic community. Um, might I add, though, um, mm. is that what we ha- what we also see here um, again, uh, we see the psalmist preferring to remember God's works. Um, you know, after verse thirty-eight, you know, it details all those things that we read in chapter sixteen and other yep. chapters. You know, the quail and 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 the water. Um, so the psalmist definitely has that preference to remember God's works as opposed to anything bad that Egypt did. Um, mm. Whereas Exodus 16, the anxiety makes it easy for, for them to forget the abuses of the oppressor. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, you know, we, we have, we have the remembering of good works, but also this interesting ability to easily forget the bad stuff that the abuser had done, um, which I think is a, is a deli- um, sort of a, uh, a a a um a dynamic that occurs a lot in modern society, mm. um, where and, and probably more in light of social justice and things like that, where you know a lot of the rhetoric that we hear from politicians pushes us to forget to try and forget the the, the oppressors and and, yes. and that voice, uh, you know, the, the 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 terrors of of past regimes, but push us more to focus on the good work. Um, so I guess there, there is a bit of counter here happening. Um, you know, yeah. probably when we look deeply in light of what's happening in today's society, it's um, probably a more um, sort of mm. alarming look at. Yeah, yeah, and there's a challenge in that for us, to, you know, as receivers of these texts, I think, to get the balance right between, for, for me, right. the Exodus reading, the human voice, the 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 anxiety and the human, you know, genuine complaint comes out about, you know, that you can imagine parents yes. being worried about what their children will eat. And um, 
in Psalm, you've got this just, it's God did this and God did that and it's all amazing, you know. He gave them, you know, food from heaven in abundance. There's water that comes out like a river, you know, everything's great. And we can see that theology in the contemporary church where we just want to talk about how great God is. And I'm not saying God is not great, but we can't talk, you know, if we only ever talk about how great God is, it, it can't be at the cost of, of dampening down the voices of those crying out for justice or food yes. or, you know. So we've got to get this balance, I think. And and maybe these uh, passages invite us to sit with both those tensions. Yeah. And, and you remind, and that's a great, excellent point, Robin. And and, I, and that reminds me of what um, former Vanuatu Prime Minister Walter Linney said mm. um, in response to, you know, the the the... the, the the unjust injustices that have happened to the people of West Papua and, you know, him being a Melanesian person, um, he spoke of that, that, and the quote, I think, if I can paraphrase correctly, um, was that if we're not free um, unless we're all free, right? Mm. Um, so if one of us is being oppressed, we can't say that we're free because that one of us, uh, that's, I mean, that other body that's being oppressed is one of us. So, um, you know, it, it, it definitely resonates with what you said. Yeah. Okay, so it might be time to turn to Matthew in our last few minutes. Um, Matthew chapter 21 to 16, often called the labourers in the vineyard. Mm. Um, I think before read, I mean, this... We need to go back a verse. So at the end of chapter 19, uh, the previous passage ends with, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And this parable is going to end with a reversal of that. So the last will be first and the first will be last. So that we are literally bookended. <laughs> um, it's it's a big neon sign saying, pay attention, this is the theme going on here. Um, but right. in the middle of that, we have a potentially tricky parable. Um, I, I don't know how you react to this parable, Brian, but um, there is part of me that's very sympathetic to the workers who've laboured all day and are grumbling that um, they did not get paid more than the people who just came and worked the last hour. Um, in our current world economics, that's totally unfair. Um, and right. But I want to dismantle that because I think that maybe that, is a criticism of our current world economics <laughs> rather than the gospel. Mm. Um, the, the scenario imagined here, and, and we know historically this is um, you know a very real scenario, is of day labourers who would gather in the marketplaces of villages and towns and wait to be hired. Now, a day labourer was a, um, you know, someone who's pretty poor. They've got uh, not no guaranteed income, they're literally waiting to be hired and during things like harvest season there might have been heaps of work but then there would be whole periods of the year where, um, you know, there was no work. And, and so starvation and losing your housing and all of that was were very real possibilities. This is a mm. – I mean, I, I read one commentator and I, I, it made me cringe a bit but he pointed out that actually – you had more food security as a slave in the empire than you did as a day labourer. So while we wouldn't wish slavery on anyone, right, I was like, oh, is that, is that a helpful? But the point was people fed their slaves because the slaves were v- valuable to them. 
but a day labourer could actually starve to death. So that's our sort of that's the socio historical context going on here, and the wage offered is a denarius, which is standard. It's kind of like minimum wage. This is not a generous day's wage. It's a standard wage. Um, and uh, so the parable starts out how is it how we'd expect it perhaps with going to get workers for the vineyard. I don't know if it's harvest season or planting season. And then this landowner comes back five times. So one of the things I want to point out that I think is often overlooked in the commentaries and stuff is the persistence of the vineyard owner. So it's he clearly has staff because he gets the manager to pay them at the end, but he comes to the market to hire people and he comes back five times. So we need to be careful reading parables as allegories. It's not necessarily that this is God or Jesus or I, I don't know yeah. who this character is, but there is something in their character that is um, it is about persistence, keep coming for the workers, including the ones that haven't been hired, um, mm. you know, those standing by. And, and they're standing by idle and we shouldn't read idle as lazy. The point is they're standing there wait, waiting for work. Um, and there's a very human plaintive thing when he asks, you know, one of the last groups, why, why are you standing here all day? And they say, because no one has hired us, you know, no one has chosen us. And again, in, in the historic context, these might be the people who are elderly, um, who look physically weak, who maybe have some kind of physical ailment that means someone's checking them out and going, you're not going to work hard enough, I'm not hiring you. So we've potentially got the elderly and the disabled um, not able to work. You know, that's our scenario going on. What did you notice about this, Brian? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, after reading Exodus um, and the grumbling happening there, um, it's interesting to see the grumbling in yeah. Matthew 20 as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like you said, it's it's sort of hard to not read this allegorically and mm. and imagine who people represent, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 I guess that's the whole idea um, behind listening to stories and parables is that you, you do get sort of a visual in your mind of what's happening and 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 all the mm. and so when you're envisioning you envision the unfairness, the injustice. Um, so. In light of the grumbling of Israel, uh, Israel in Exodus, uh, I found it a, a, to be a fair grumbling as well. Mm -hmm. um, but but more often than not, we see, like like you were saying, it's it's hard to to sort of categorize what's what the message is when you've got all these um, competing voices in your head telling you, you know, oh well, this is not fair, this is not right, mm -hmm. um, and you're supposed to isolate the message when you're, I mean, you know. I, I put the question to you, like how, how would how would readers be, uh, you know, are there, how are readers able to combat this difficulty, um, especially if we were to preach from here? Yeah, I mean, I think one, I mean, both for the preacher and, and the person listening in church, I think one interesting question to always ask ourselves when we read parables in particular is who do we naturally identify with? So if we naturally mm -hmm. identify with the person who labours all day because we feel like we work hard and de deserve our wage, of course we're going to feel resentful. Yep. We, you know, if if we're the landowner, we might think, oh yeah, whatever. Or you know, or if you're the person who's turned up late to the party and got just as you know big a gift bag or whatever the scenario is, is um, right? You know, you might be like, I'm pretty happy about this. This guy's awesome. Um, 
you know, so <laughs> we can see different human perspectives at work there, but I think the challenge in mm. a parable is to step back and remember the introduction, which is the kingdom of heaven is like this. So it's not yeah. about every tiny detail. It's about the big picture kind of that Jesus mm. is painting. And what it's like is a king, well, not really a king in this story, but a, a vineyard owner who keeps coming back looking for more and more workers and hiring even those who are rejected by other people. So we've got something about grace and inclusion and generosity going on. And we've got a wage system that um, says everybody gets a day's wage regardless of whether you've worked all day or the last hour, which means you all get enough to live on. Mm. So it is a bit like Exodus, like God will provide a daily, that's a day's meal if we think of this in those terms. Um, But there's always a little twist in a parable, and the twist is the grumbling is – um, you know, the, the promised wage is I will give you what is just, what is dikaios. Um, and then when mm. they're paid at the end, the the first workers complain um, that the others were made equal to them. So there's something here too. I, I, I would read this parable as a harsh critique of our current world capitalist society where we are mm. deeply hierarchical. We do... I think work on a belief that if you work hard enough, um, you deserve to earn millions of dollars while other people are poor and, and, and there's often not starkly stated but subtle implications that we think, you know, people are lazy if you're unemployed or you're just not trying hard enough. And um, uh, so there's some of those dynamics. I think we're, we live in a culture, at least here in Australia, that is competitive. So we feel like there's only so much money so if you get more than me, you're taking my money. So that immediately pits us against each other. And what mm. we have is a vision of a kingdom of heaven that says there's enough for everyone to get a day's wage, mm. but no one's going to be super rich. Mm. Um, mm. And there's enough work for even the elderly and the disabled to have some meaningful work, but we won't expect them to labour as much as everyone else, but they'll be looked after and there's a place for everyone in this kind of world. Now, we could also critique it. We could say there's still a wealthy vineyard owner and, and who, what character is that? But mm. um, I think it does – it offers a sharp critique of the way our current society is structured, particularly economically and in terms of equity. Um, mm. Yeah. Could, it, could you also say leadership as well? Um, mm. You know, I, I find that the response um, in the – I mean, in verse 15 – um, am I not allowed to do what I choose yeah. with what belongs to me? Um, yeah. You know, that that sort of attitude from, you know, uh, mostly, you know, rich business owners and mm. um, in the capitalist world, uh, I, find, I think that that sort of reflects the attitude of these people um, that perhaps there's a critique as well. Yeah. And that leadership. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, this is where the vineyard owner, we need to be very careful not just saying this is God. Um, because it's a bit of an mm. ambiguous character because we've got someone going, yes. I can do what I like with my wealth. Like, who, how dare you tell mm. me? Like, So he, he's been fair to one group and in terms of paying them what he promised and he's been very generous to another mm. group, but it doesn't feel like equality to um, – yeah. yeah. It also yeah. made me think of, um, you know, for people outside Australia, we're having a big conversation here about a referendum coming up to change the constitution mm. that would give a Indigenous voice to parliament. Um, mm. And 
some of the conversations I've had with people who don't want this change are, you know, it's special privileges for a certain group in our society like that. You know, there's certain language that's begrudging and and the the no campaign has been talking about we're all the same, we should all be united, we're all um, Australians, so why would we give one group in Australia a special voice? Now, there's a whole lot of historical reasons to do that um, because we've been so damn awful to our Indigenous people through colonisation. But, um, you know, this passage also suggests to me that, you know, equity is not about treating everybody exactly the same, right? To make Mm. things actually equal, we sometimes do need to privilege Mm. people because we're recognising they're so underprivileged Mm. to begin with that to actually give them a voice, we need special things or or whatever the scenario is. So I think it challenges our sense of what's equal and fair as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm always taken back to that um, cartoon that I've seen circulating around on on social media. Mm. they have, you know, people, three different people of different heights standing behind a wall, um, and you know the the the, the argument of of, qual- of equality um, was putting you know everyone on an equal footing. So you know, obviously, they put a box um, higher for the shorter guy, um, so that they're both all standing on the same with the same purview, you know, yeah. to see what's over the wall. But then there was an interesting addition to that cartoon where they knocked down the wall completely and then they said that's <laughs> equity. Um, you know, so like you said, it's 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 not about treating everyone, um, you know, putting everyone on an equal footing, but giving everyone that sort of same opportunity yeah. um, and recognising that the wall that was there in the first place was what caused the, the inequality in the first place. Because that, that image before of putting people on the footstool, it still had the wall. Um, whereas the problem was the wall itself. Um, so, yeah. you know, in, in terms of referendum happening, I think a lot of those people that are voting um, no um, are still putting that wall in place. Yeah, we're not prepared to tear the wall down. It's a, that's a great – yeah, and I have seen that cartoon go around. It's actually a very powerful visual depiction. I'll maybe try and find a link for the show notes if people don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, and, of course, in Matthew's context, I think one of the dynamics going on here – is um, because this is a dynamic throughout Matthew's gospel, is the inclusion of Gentiles into what would become Christianity, um, into this gospel movement, um, which in Matthew we can see open up, but halfway through Jesus says, you know, I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and by the end of the gospel it's go make disciples of all nations. So we get this movement from Israel only to everyone, and I think this kind Mm. of parable is capturing what it means for people to come kind of late, if you like, into the faith. Um, yeah. And and again, mm. for preachers, I think it, we could ask, you know, how this is played out in our congregations because there's radical grace here for the latecomers, um, but how often in our churches are either the leaders or the people who have been there a whole a long time putting up those walls and those barriers um, because mm. we want to guard what's ours, we don't want to share. There's a whole lot of dynamics here preachers could play with, I think. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know. This this sort of um, just um, got into my head um, right now. Yep. Um, but you know, when we're, I guess, when we're, you know, we should um, preachers should be sort of also careful um, when we're sort of making those distinctions, right, um, between Israel and and the, the non-believing Israel. Yep. Um, just to be careful and and tread lightly that we're not. Um, 
you know, sort of treading into whole anti-Semitic um, yeah. type of, um, you know, attitude. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's 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 not a it's not an easy um, thing to do, but um, we we need to be be bear mind of that when we do preach. Totally. Yep. Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, we're out of time, but it's great talking with you, and I hope uh, preachers have taken something from this congregation conversation that they can take into their places of worship. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.